Okay, so today we are we are still in chapter six. Uh, we're going to be in there for a couple couple more days here, I think. But we're going to be in chapter six, verses twenty-two through forty. Um, hopefully, I do this justice. I feel like this might be a shorter sermon, which maybe is much to your relief, but we'll see. <clears throat> All right, so 22 through 40, we're going to start with uh, 22 through 25 here, where it says, The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except one, and that Jesus had not gotten into the boat with his disciples, and that his disciples had departed alone. Other small boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So these people knew that Jesus did not get into the boat. Remember, we just talked about how his disciples rode for probably nine hours into that storm. And then Jesus finally, he comes out onto the water to save them because they are, they are getting quite exasperated by what's going on and they're probably afraid of being capsized. He calms the water, all that, all that we covered last week. So, but people knew that Jesus did not enter a boat. They didn't see him get on one. Apparently they must have been watching for it but they somehow missed him when he walked out onto the water. So the question comes here, especially with the remainder of the verses, were they looking for Jesus or were they looking for more food? That is a a genuine question to to come at these verses with. Because Jesus is going to touch on that a lot. He's going to talk talk about the bread a lot. And uh, this reminds us of Matthew 4.4, where he says, he says to Satan, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We're going to see him hitting on this subject. We're going to see the comparisons of material things, of food, things like that, with, with actual spiritual bread. Because mankind, whether we like to admit it or not, withers if we just have the physical, if we just have food. Now, this is also the same crowd, though, that wanted to make Jesus king. So the question here is, is will Jesus tell them how he got there? So let's look at that in the, in the next couple verses here, in 26 through 29, where it says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do? This is really important. These couple of verses here are really important. You know, we talk about 
Sometimes people will talk about the word doctrine or theology, things like that, and they'll say, well, I don't really have a doctrine. You do have doctrine. Doctrine is just what you believe. And these two verses here are very important for what you believe. Where he says, therefore, they said to him, "What what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? And Jesus answers and says to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That is the work of God, says Jesus. So, they asked him, Jesus, how did you get here? Rabbi, how did you get here? Jesus doesn't answer it. Instead, he tells them why they are there. And he tells them that you came for more food. I pre- you know, not the miracles. I mean, he just fed 5,000 people with a meager amount of bread and fish. They didn't come for the miracle. They came for more food, he says. So they wanted bread. Some of them probably wanted signs and wonders. But they definitely wanted a king to go against these Roman rulers. That's a constant, constant thing going on in these scriptures. And so Jesus starts telling them what they need to hear. He starts telling them that they need to go after spiritual things. Because people automatically want the earthly. It's just how we're built, apparently. He says, don't go after that food that will perish. You know, a good, uh, a good example of this would be, say you went out to Alliance and you stood on like Box Butte there, and you told people, hey, I will give you $100,000 or I will give you the knowledge for eternal life. You're going to run over $100,000 pretty quick. Most people are going to go for that. You'd probably be hard-pressed to get anybody to take the other. <clears throat> so people naturally, they want the things that will make them comfortable here. These people are wanting the food. <clears throat> now Jesus tells them, He tells us that we can trust His words here Because the Father has placed a seal on him. He has placed his endorsement on him. He did that at Jesus' baptism. And he does that with all the miracles that Jesus provides for these people and for us nowadays. Remember at the baptism in in the very beginning of our study of John, in chapter 1, it said, John John the Baptist had said, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. That was God's seal Father put his seal upon him. But then, of course, we see all these miracles. We've seen many at this point already. But Jesus sets them, and he sets us straight right here with the work of God. Because we all, every one of us is guilty of it. We get into this point where we feel like we need to do our part, I guess you could say. You know, we have these steps that maybe we feel like we need to take or that others need to take to get right with God, to be able to have that salvation. We talk about sacraments. We talk about rituals, commandments. And sometimes when we get a little lost, we can think that we need to keep these for salvation. Romans talks about this a lot. One of these days we'll get into Romans, and that's just going to be a whole spiel on its own. But Romans 10 2 through 4 talks about this where it says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. 
for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Jesus tells us the work is to believe on him. That's the work. Now, sometimes we might be sitting here hearing this, and we might go, that's it, right? That's all we have to do? Just believe? Don't obey? So obedience. Yes, we need to obey, right? We see this in the Scriptures. We see that we're supposed to walk a certain walk in the Spirit. We see that in the New Testament and in the Old. We see that when people in the Scriptures or in our lives now, when they don't listen to God, that things can go badly. We see that sin is always at our door waiting to get in. She just dropped her cup. We see in the Scriptures, I mean, you can just look at book by book by book. You see Adam and Eve when they don't listen. What happens? And then the repercussions that now play into our lives because of that. We see people get turned to salt. We see what the world get flooded. We see plagues upon the nation of Egypt. We see Jonah get swallowed by a fish. So should we obey? Yes. But it doesn't save us. It doesn't give us eternal life. Jesus says to believe on Him. So faith saves you, and then what does faith produce? Obedience. Faith produces the obedience. Faith gets you into the Word. Faith gets you on your knees in prayer. And faith will allow you to hear the obedience that God is calling you to. Because you'll have the Spirit residing in you, prompting you, speaking to you, and directing you to a different path. That is vitally important for people to remember. Because otherwise we get caught up in the works. The works that will never do it. Let's go on to uh, verse 30 through 36. Where it says, So they said to him, What then are you doing as a sign that we may see and believe you? What are the works you, what work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of heaven, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us always, uh, always give us this bread. It's a little reminiscent of the woman at the well there. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said, but I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. So the crowd's reaction here. I think we are very lucky to not be born in the first century because, I mean, I I very well could have been somebody in that crowd. But the crowd's reaction is shameful. And it points to the fact that there are probably Pharisees in this crowd. In fact, uh, 
verse 41, which we're not covering today, pretty much states that there is some Pharisees that have infiltrated the crowd and are asking some of these questions. But the crowd followed the miracles to this point, and then they demand more proof. And they're probably hungry again. So Jesus, is try, he tries again here to redirect their thoughts towards heavenly, pointing towards him. And he says, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. That's not just, if you notice, that's not just for lost Israelites here. It's not in a past tense, it's continuing. So, but this hunger that is, is probably a very real thing for them. I mean, it, it really does pang in a person. If you've ever been truly hungry, truly starving, that can be something that you focus on intently. So Jesus sees that and He's trying to tell them, look, this is not the end goal here. This food is not going to sustain you forever. Because food is necessary to live But Jesus is saying, if you're spiritually dead, you're not going to live eternally with God. You may fill your belly up all day long, and you're still going to die. That's why in this text here, you see that it shows that He invites all to come to Him and all to believe. But not for physical hunger and thirst, because that's not going to end. People are still going to die in this that are in this uh, this situation. People are still going to get hungry. They're still going to have to eat every day. He's talking about something that's important for the eternality of their soul. So when we have a relationship with Jesus, we find that peace. We find that, that filling from the Holy Spirit because God will be in us at, at that point and then on. But do you see all the... Do you see, do you see the hoops that you have to jump through here? Any, can anybody see any hoops? I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who the one who comes to me will not be hungry, will not be thirsty. Do not work for food that perishes, but for that which lasts eternally. There are no hoops. There's no big theology test. That's why these verses are so nice to read. There's no water baptism requirement. There's no circumcision. There's no removing of your tattoos or a tithing requirement. It's saying that if you want salvation, you go to Jesus Christ. You believe on Him who the Father has sent. Titus 3 sums this up really well. And we may have quoted this a little while back, but Titus um, 3, 4 through 6, where it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, which He richly poured upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. That should be very reassuring. If you have, if you have any doubts, that should be extremely reassuring. Because all it takes is five minutes to think about any bad deeds that you've done in your life, any times that you've transgressed God's law, and you'll realize that if it was on your own, if it was based on your deeds, you'd never make it. I'd never make it. Nobody would. God saves us in our sin. That's why they call Him the great physician, because He came for the sick, not for the righteous. 
And when that happens, we know that we are moved out of that mud and muck of sin and rebellion, and we're into the family of God, and it's a permanent thing. And we'll see that it's a permanent thing here in these last final verses. In 37 through uh, 40 here, where it says, Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice too in that verse when he said, I have come down from heaven. He just talked about how the bread from heaven comes down. He's comparing himself there, even if they can't see it. But this is the will of him who sent me, that everything that he has given me, Of everything He has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I Myself will raise Him up on the last day. Everyone who believes in the Son will have eternal life. It's both a a large range of target because everyone is eligible, but yet it's small in realization when we see and interact with people on a daily basis. Because it's so easy to come to Jesus, and yet I'm sure every one of us knows somebody who refuses to. Every single one of us knows someone. Because as we've said in the past, the gospel is offensive. tells us that fall, that man has fallen, that we have missed the mark completely with God, that we have sinned against a holy, perfect being, and that we need Him to make it back home, that we can't do it on our own. And when we do that, the Gospel tell, tells us that we will change. People reject that. That song, Just As I Am, is, a, is, a, is an example. Because we come to Christ just as we are. But everybody knows that you, when you're born again, you change. You don't do the same things you did before. You don't think the same way you did before. You may have, you have back, back steps, but you are on a new path. You're guided by somebody different. You do things differently. The world doesn't tell you to do that. The world says you're fine just the way you are. Don't change ever. And they say that to everybody, no matter what they're doing. That's a scary thing for everybody just to stay the way they are, and you're A-OK. People do some weird things. So it's not the process that keeps them away, because that's just believing in Him, putting their faith in Him, in His work, that He can save you. But it's the fact that you, when you are saved, you are transformed. That is what people do not like. The pride in them doesn't want to change. They don't want to admit that they are wrong in what they're doing, that they have sinned. So that's why we have to plant as many seeds as we can and let God do the watering. That's why it's important to talk about your faith. Because those who have set their pride aside, those who have come to the Son in humility, in an honest need of a Savior, For those people, this is reassuring. These are very reassuring Scriptures. Because He says that once you are His, He will not lose you. There is no chance of Him losing you. 
Lord, you had a, I had a bad day. You know, I had a moment of weakness. He's not going to lose you. I didn't pray enough this week. I didn't, I didn't even crack my Bible this week. He's not going to lose you if you have faith in Him. Lord, I acted like an idiot. I said something I shouldn't have. Forgive me, Lord. Verse 37 says, He will not cast you out. So we live our life. We walk in the Spirit. Sometimes our flesh trips us up. But we repent and we keep going. We keep our faith in God. We ask God to mold us. That's that sanctifying us to be more like Him as we walk through this earth. And He says He will not cast us out. He will lose nothing. I used to say, kind of half-jokingly, that the only thing guaranteed in this life is death. Because everybody who's born is going to die eventually here. But that's wrong. It really is wrong because we have another guarantee right here. That if you come to Christ, you have a guarantee that if you come to Him humbly, if you come to Him honestly in repentance, that He's that you're going to be reborn, that you're going to produce obedience to things in your life that are good for you, that are good for other people around you. And the guarantee there, like I said, is that Jesus will not cast you out because you're His. Very reassuring Scriptures for the believer.